0: Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. This week, we're talking to the three time Kona podium finisher, ITU Long Course World Champ, Rachel Joyce. Rachel is retired now and trying to decide what she's going to do next teaching, maybe. But here, we look back and chat about how she took up triathlon while working as a lawyer in the UK, went part time to go pro, and then had a terrible season. How did she go from coming in last and second to last to coming in second in the world? What changed? We also chat about what it's like to get past at Kona with all the TV cameras around you, what she's been working on lately, and what she wishes she had known when she started. But first, a lot of us have been stressed and anxious this past week, this month, this year. How do we deal with that and still train and perform well? Mental endurance coach Vanessa Forrester joins us to give you some insight about sitting with your emotions, acknowledging them, and working through them. Self-compassion is key. All of that after this break. Interested in triathlon, training, gear, tips on the pros? Subscribe to the Triathlete Magazine podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes of the Triathlete Hour drop every Wednesday. Our gear podcast, Gear Up, comes out the last Monday of the month, and our training podcast, Fitter and Faster, arrives on the mid-Friday of each month. Subscribe so you don't miss any of these great episodes. All right, this week we're talking to Vanessa Forrester, who's a mental skills coach, and she's going to help guide us through all this anxiety and stress we're feeling these days, right? Yes. Yes. That's what
1: I'm here for.
0: So I thought of you because obviously a lot of our athletes, a lot of us have been dealing with like a lot of stress last week, this month, this year. It's been a very stressful year. And I think we all deal with that and performance and workouts and training differently. You know, some of us, use training to get through it. Some of us don't do well with stress. and So kind of what do you see with your athletes? How do you tell them to deal, you know, when there's when they have like a lot of life stress going on?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's such an important topic to cover. And I think first and foremost, it's recognizing the importance of having these difficult thoughts and feelings. Um, We're not here to ignore them or force some sort of like unrealistic positive thinking. So much can be learned from them if we're willing to face them with a sense of curiosity and self-compassion. And that's what I work with with my athletes because most of us don't want to deal with it. So we (laughs) run from it, run to training or away from training. But if we are willing to come face to face with them with a sense of curiosity, then we can learn from them because feelings of stress and anxiety and the thoughts related to them are normal. Like you're not broken when you're having those, when you're experiencing it. But equally true is that you are not your thoughts and you are not your emotions. As a person, you're separate from them. So part of the work is that sense of awareness to start separating yourself, but not running from them.
0: How do you do that?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's first and foremost, it's being willing to be aware. And, you know, a lot of us, we throw ourselves into training and we spend so much time on the physical side of our training, but we don't take the time to step back and understand what's happening in between our ears and what we're feeling. And so even just sitting in the the emotion, recognizing, okay, something feels off. Maybe there's some circumstances happening in the world, but I know I'm feeling some sort of unrest. What's happening here? And just asking those questions. What am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? Where could it be coming from? Do I want to continue feeling this? (laughs) You know, they seem like such basic questions. But because we don't want to feel it, we end up bulldozing past it. And then it just compounds. Because stress and anxiety and any other negative emotion are part of the human experience. As soon as we think that we shouldn't feel that way, that we should only feel positive emotions all the time, we start to judge ourselves. And we feel the sense of shame around it. And then we end up in this cycle that just mm-hmm. perpetuates more anxiety and more stress and more overtraining or undertraining or no training <laughs> and all of the results that come from that. And I think a, a big part of the answer is a sense of, a sense of self compassion. You know, Susan David is an amazing psychologist and the author of a book called Emotional Agility, and she says that self compassion is the antidote to shame. And I think that's a big part of it right now, especially. You know, with what's happening in the world is just creating an, an area where we can be more self-compassionate and slow it down, ask those questions, and be willing to sit through some tough answers from our own selves.
0: Okay. So you're saying like when I last week was just very stressed and bailed on workouts, I should be like, okay with that. I should be like, well, it's fine. I needed
1: that. Yeah. yeah. Because here's what's true. Self-compassion, like before you think it's you going soft on yourself, <laughs> what's really true is you're, it's not about lying to yourself, right? It's recognizing that in these times, you can redefine who you are as an athlete, even if it's just for that week or this season of 2020, you can redefine how you need to show up for yourself in your athletic endeavors. And those are, you know, process goals, outcome goals, just individual training sessions, because self-compassion also doesn't mean that you're weak or lazy. That's not true <laughs> or that you lack... Compassion, or you don't care about your success. It's actually the opposite. People who are more accepting of their own failures or setbacks are actually more motivated to improve. Because my guess is, this week you're ready to get back at it <laughs> a little bit, or like kind of, <laughs> or at least like inch back <laughs> right. into it slowly but surely, right?
0: right? So we did see. We, I mean, I think there are probably. Two ways athletes kind of handle, you know, when they're very stressed out, like in their life, like whatever that stress is, you know, like around some of them go completely overboard, like train, like running helps them work through things, you know, like, let's go out for a lot of workouts. And some people are just like, I can't, I can't, because it is, we also know like studies show it's literally harder to perform when you're stressed. Like you feel the same level of work at a higher pain. <laughs> like Absolutely. It, it hurts Absolutely. more. Absolutely. So some people, also, you know, like hard workouts sound terrible when I'm stressed out. Like they, I, Oh, I don't even know how people do that. So I feel like people yeah. go one of two ways, kind of.
1: Yeah, 100%. And neither one of them is wrong, right? Mm. Stress is stress on the body. <laughs> Mental stress shows up physiologi- physiolo- physiologically the same way as physical stress. So when you're feeling it, it's going to show itself in the same way, which is exactly what you're speaking to. Mm. So I think it's just a matter of not thinking it needs to look a certain way or expecting you to be processing your stress the same as your neighbor or your partner or whoever else is in your life. Um, And just pay attention to how your body is responding, right? Like if you're running yourself into the ground, and then you might have some (laughs) negative effects to that later down the road, in terms of like a stress fracture or something like that, something to pay attention to. But if what you're using is a level of, you know, an outlet to release some emotion, to have some time for yourself, there's nothing wrong with that until you label it wrong. Right. Same thing with like, if workouts are you know, good or bad, you know, there is no good, bad, better or worse. There just is. And there's just like, did you accomplish what the training session, the um, objective of the training session was? Yes or no. <laughs> and if not, what can you learn from it? What can you learn? What's the information you can take and learn and use it as a stepping stone to your eventual destination? You know, whether it's in the midst of a lot of stress or not, that's an opportunity for all of us in all of our training sessions.
0: What do you think this year? I mean, obviously this year has been a very weird year and you like wrote a story for us about some of the things people, what are some of the common issues that people? I mean, stress and anxiety is high, uncertainty is high. What are the things that you're seeing people have to deal with?
1: Definitely the uncertainty Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the biggest one because, you know, for the most part, and the people that are listening to this podcast, like (laughs) we're dedicated athletes. We love to race. We love the opportunity to, you know, put our training to the test and that sense of uncertainty of not knowing when those races are going to be, you know, creates a little uh, unsettling, right? Well, we know it was Ironman Florida happened. So races (laughs) are coming back, even if they look a little bit different. Um, and you know, that's just another emotion, just like stress and anxiety, uncertainty. It's another emotion. The truth of the matter is, is that there's always uncertainty. Mm -hmm. It just feels so much heavier now because it's a collective uncertainty and there's, you know, a pandemic that none of us knew was coming and, and we're still navigating how to, to deal with that on a personal and, you know, world level. But, um, it's the same it's the same same idea as anxiety and stress as soon as you think that you shouldn't feel the sense of unsettling you start to shut down and lock up and and we're not able to move forward from there all of those emotions are welcome it's part of the human experience nothing has gone wrong like release that sense of judgment release that sense of shame have some self compassion and whether that means that you take a little bit of a break or you refocus with your daily and, you know, process and, and long-term goals reassessed, it's going to look different for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest thing is being aware of it, being willing to feel those emotions and then, and making a plan for where you want to go in the future.
0: See, and you make this sounds all so easy. How easy is it to just like (laughs) work through and acknowledge your emotions, be healthy? How
1: easy is it to perform at a high level, you know, physically, right? It's not that easy. It's simple it's simple but it's not easy it takes time it takes practice it takes it takes a willingness to continue trying and getting it wrong and failing and doing it again and showing up day in and day out it you know we think that the hardest part is the physical endurance that we build but really it's the emotional and mental endurance it's so much harder but if you're willing to put in the time then you reap the benefits on the race course and off the race course for so much longer. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. So I actually, you called me a mental skills coach. I actually call myself a mental endurance coach okay. for that reason, because we know, we know what it means to build physical endurance. We know that it takes time, but a lot of us aren't willing to face these emotions and, um, and the thoughts associated with it to build the mental endurance. And yes, it's not, it's not it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. It keeps continuing to show up for sure.
0: I definitely always wonder with, uh, mental training coaches, if they're just like super mentally healthy all the time.
1: No, because no. you know what? We're still humans. <laughs> <laughs> we still have human brains walking around with the same, you know, negative emotions, negative thought patterns. The difference is, is that we've learned those skills and those tools to manage it maybe a little more efficiently, a little bit quicker. Hmm. And I would say, especially when it comes to adversity and and building resilience, I feel like that is a superpower of mine. Nice. And when we got to this pandemic, I've told my husband this many times, I feel like I trained my whole life <laughs> for this year. Like I was like ready to go <laughs> just because I, I think it was just an amazing example of how the internal environment really is a reflection of what's happening on the outside. And if you're willing to put in that time and- not run away from your emotions, then you're, you really can face anything. And it sounds so like woo and hippy-dippy, right. but it's really not. It is like <laughs> so concrete, like what we're thinking and what we're feeling is so indicative of how we show up in our lives, period.
0: I'm going to include the link to the story you wrote for us about, which is more about uncertainty than stress, but is about dealing with the pandemic so people can kind of work through some of these things. Uh, thank so you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for, for sharing your insight with us.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. All
0: right, this week we're talking to Rachel Joyce, three times on the podium at Kona, twice second, uh, and the and the winner of the long distance world ITU World Championships. But Rachel, now you're retired. What is post-trathon life like?
2: Um. I'm less tired. <laughs> well, generally like having retiring at the same time as having a baby meant I was about equally tired for a right. period. Um, but uh, it's, it's different. And um, I think it, it on so um, like all consuming that it is retiring from it. You kind of have, it feels like it lives leaves like a big space to fill um where you can kind of not fill it with one thing you can kind of fill it with a lot of different things so i probably feel it's like um i'm slightly more balanced human um
0: (laughs) (laughs) so what are you filling it with then are you filling it with like family and casual work are you like going all in on something else
2: um i you know the plan had been i would kind of um I was coaching when I first retired and I had like a good number of athletes and that kind of has, uh, it was kind of, I was almost like an accidental coach, but it was something that I really enjoyed doing. And with the coming of COVID, uh, you know, athletes moved on to other other things, other coaches. And so now I, I coach like very, like less than a handful of athletes. And my plan had been wait until Benjamin is one, who's my second child. And then I'd really like, Throw myself into something else, but then there was a global pandemic, so that didn't really happen. So I kind of threw myself into more, you know, with the with the situation with the boys is that they've kind of been in and out of preschool or childcare. So I have, uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of parenting, right. um, which has been fun. I've found a creative side I never knew I had. <laughs> I'm, it's not a natural thing, but I've managed to kind of. Um, Uh, do something creative um, with them. And yeah, and in the last couple of months, I've really started thinking about, okay, what is my next career going to be? Because I feel like I'm involved in quite a few different things, but um, I can't necessarily see myself carving out a career in any of those places right now.
0: Right, I mean, I said before, yeah, that I feel like you're doing all this different stuff. So you're not going to go back and be a lawyer, it doesn't sound like. No. no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that That is something I can be fairly categorical okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, Although, you know, I, I would never rule out using like my, I think, having worked in the law, I kind of have a way of thinking. And it's like a problem solving, which I quite enjoy. And I could see myself using that in the future. Um, but at the moment, uh, my plan is to um, train to be to go into education and mm. be a teacher. So oh, all right. that is what I have been, something completely different. But um, I definitely felt after doing triathlon, which was all about me, I felt like I really felt this pull to like do something for other people, uh, you know, be kind of more in service. Uh, and I think education is, um, especially with the pandemic, actually it kind of really made me think, you know, the pandemic's affecting everyone but the kids who aren't going to school some this is it's where you're going to see division between the, the haves and the haves not is really oh, yeah. going to grow um and i kind of went through this period of feeling pretty powerless and then you know you have to kind of drag yourself out of that and thought think okay what what practically could i do and i kind of went around the houses and i kept coming back to education so uh that's where Something stuck and that's what I'm going to kind of follow up next year
0: see and you have practice this year with your kids like being at home and teaching them so
2: (laughs) yeah yeah I'm not sure I'm going to be a preschool teacher
0: (laughs) (laughs) you're like no probably not that (laughs) (laughs) but we'll see see so we're ruling things out right you're not gonna be a preschool teacher you're not gonna be a lawyer it's great
2: (laughs) (laughs) well it's uh yeah Sometimes that's as helpful as knowing exactly what you want to
0: do. (laughs) So So you never actually officially retired. I mean, I saw something on your Instagram, I don't know, a little while ago, where you were like, by the time you were like, sure you were done, it sort of was like anticlimactic. And so you never never did like like a big, yeah, announcement.
2: Yes, yeah. Like, I really admire the people who know definitely, they can even announce before they've done their final race that this is my final race. And I've always been a bit more a kind of grave if you, if you like and like even when I was having when I was pregnant with Archie I wasn't certain that I would definitely come back um and it was kind of more like going on a feeling of like yeah I am going to come back and race um so I didn't want to say like have this grand retirement and then decide six months later actually no I'm not done I'm going to come back and race so like I was like, I guess I should officially say I have retired because occasionally <laughs> I would get people saying, oh, I can't wait to see you back in Kona. And I was like, uh, You're like yeah, yeah, that's not going to happen. But well, I will. You know, I'll come to the... Um,
0: the party next year. Yeah, the right. party.
2: You know, I'm really... That's something I'm pretty excited about is seeing it as a spectator. I've always been... When mm. I've been in Kona, I've always been racing. So um, seeing it from the other side. And I feel like that would have been pretty hard to do immediately after retired like I kind of thought I'd retired but not announced my retirement but now I feel enough separation that it wouldn't feel
0: weird like awkward yeah like
2: I kind of like I kind of want to be out there but I don't want to be out there um like now I'm pretty sure you don't want to to be out there
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think my understanding is spectating that is still like pretty long and hot and tiring so you still (laughs) have to fuel appropriately right
2: yes yeah yeah I know it's it's not like it's an easy day yeah. getting up at five and being out there till, you know, midnight. Yeah.
0: So so you, uh, I mean, we mentioned you were a lawyer before. You actually were a lawyer. Well, I guess they call it solicitor, right?
2: Yes. In the UK. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Which actually means something totally different here. And so I don't exactly. <laughs> I, don't, I don't
2: use that terminology too much since coming stateside. I'm either an attorney or a lawyer and, uh, leave it at that leave it at that
0: (laughs) but you were and then you kind of you know were doing the age group thing getting better and better at what point because I mean everybody you know all our listeners they have regular jobs and they're age groupers at what point were you like wait I'm pretty good at this I'm gonna stop being a lawyer
2: um it I was it kind of came kind of in increments okay. I, I I was racing and I was doing pretty well as an age grouper and then I heard that there was going to be the 70.3 world championships the first one uh. so that was like my a stepping stone like my next goal was okay I'm going to qualify for that and then like fair, maybe fairly arrogantly I was like well if I'm going to go there I want to you know I had no idea really who my competition was but I was like yeah, why win. not win my age group there? Let's try and do that. Why not? Yeah, if
0: I'm gonna go, I might as well win. It's fine. <laughs>
2: and um I I did win my age group. Um and and it was it was then that it was it was not so much that I really believed that I would be a brilliant pro, but it was more that I kind of saw the pros up on the awards, you know, getting mm-hmm. their awards. And I was like, I just wonder how I would compare to the, compare to them if I raced them. And that's where my interest laid. Like, I was like, okay, I've won my age group now. Now I want to see how, you know, where I where I stand with the best of the best. And that was really my motivation. Even if I was terrible, I wanted to give it a go. And um, at the time I did Clearwater that first year, I was 28. Um, and I kind of was like, oh, I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> which now I look back at and think... <laughs> you're like, oh. No, yeah. you're just the young, young thing. Um, and I initially, I kind of, uh, I walked, like I decided over a weekend, because I was kind of getting frustrated that I would get, I was like burning the candle at both ends. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd often be, I was working away in on a big case, which meant I was five days in a hotel and then trying to train on the weekends. And it I just was exhausted and probably not doing either that well. So I decided um, one weekend that I was going to resign from my job, which I didn't give too much thought. And I walked into my boss's office and told him, you know, I'm going to resign. Why are you resigning? Oh, I'm going to be a pro triathlete. And he was like, uh-huh.
0: uh-huh. Okay. <laughs>
2: um, and I think that then I burst into tears because it was such a relief to get it out. Um, but then he—it was actually great because then we kind of had a discussion, and he said, "Okay, uh, I don't think you're going to make much money for a while as a professional graphic. Why don't you work? Why don't you work three days in the office, and then you can have a few more time to to train?" So then I, for two years, I worked part time as a lawyer, right. um, and then it was as I was approaching my. Um, 30th birthday and I I just I was racing pro but I was terrible mm-hmm. like I would overtrain I would get injured I would get ill so I was like I would maybe come 7th or 8th right, right, right. in, in I think a 70.3 you, um,
0: yeah, you said like the first year you went part time 2008 you got injured you got sick and it was like you almost wanted to quit it was like well this isn't going to work out
2: yeah exactly like it just it I just, I felt like I was losing on both sides. I wasn't a very good professional triathlete. And I, meanwhile, I'm seeing friends kind of progressing their careers. And mm-hmm. even though I didn't love being a triathlete, I still had that kind of competitive part of me that was like, well, if you I didn't love am going to be lawyer, a lawyer
0: is what you meant to say.
2: What I solicited <laughs> <laughs> that too. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah. So, uh, but I just was like, well, if I'm going to, if I end up having to go back to the law, like I want to be a good lawyer. Right. And I just felt like I was not balancing the two and just doing a bad job of both. So um, I, then I, Retired again, resigned again from my job, and this time my like the group that I worked in, they're like, Uh, we're not having a whip around for you on this one, you just like leave, you're not getting a leave and present, just go, just go,
0: It <laughs> just be done, it's fine, yeah,
2: <laughs> good luck. Um, but that having said that, they were great, and for the first three years of me racing, they would, um, they kind of paid me they had a fund that they would pay to help support me um which uh was amazing because like I didn't really have a plan as to what I thought I was going to do in triathlon but they kind of got behind me um in what I did try to do and so then that was that really made a difference um and then I kind of resigned in May 2008 and then I went on to do Florida my first full Ironman in that November um, and I came fifth and it was the first time I actually had a result where I was like okay I can imagine that I could get better and build on this rather than thinking I'm just terrible at this because I I had come last in races I'd uh, done the European long distance championships and come last by a fair margin (laughs) um So my my confidence had got run pretty low, and Florida just kind of was enough of a result to think, okay, there could be something something there. And I actually I kind of went back to London after that, and I did I contracted for the law firm again and just saved a bunch, you know, pretty much saved every penny I could from that two months, and then really started 2009 thinking okay you're going to qualify for kona that's your big goal this year um and i wasn't that strategic because the first race i did was ironman south africa which only had one it was when we had
0: right spots uh, spots
2: and roll downs and there was only one kona spot so i think it was aynela Johansson, who was an estonian he, he's Estonian. He was a pro at the time. He goes, wow, you're really confident doing Ironman <laughs> South Africa. And I was like, I kind of just wanted to go to South Africa. Like, and, didn't really um, think this
0: through. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so I didn't win Ironman South Africa, but I came third. And then six weeks later, I did Lanzarote. And um, there I did, I came second and there were two spots. So I qualified for Kona.
0: What do you think? Um, I mean, besides starting to feel like a little more confident... Going from being like last by a large margin to like, <laughs> hey, I'm going to qualify for Kona and like get second in Ironman. I mean, there, you got to, there's got to be a big difference there, right? What did you do yeah. differently?
2: Um, I I stopped trying to be like a rock star in training. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and like, I really felt like I was in, when I first turned pro, like if I went out or it's just. Felt like I needed to prove myself in every session, so I just would completely overtrain, get ill, or injured. Um, and then I kind of like figured actually, I I went on a training camp with Ina Lai Johansson, Uh, I think it was in Lanzarote, and I just saw that like it was just about showing up. And you know, you didn't have to have every session, didn't have to be amazing, but you just had to have this consistency. So, I uh dialed it back a bit and you know just looked at being consistent and thinking okay you know it's about race day rather than doing anything um you know of course some sessions were better than others but I was like just don't it was almost like just don't get injured (laughs) whatever you do just don't get injured injured. (laughs) Uh, I know they say that when you're on the bike You know, like, don't hit the tree, don't hit the tree, you hit the tree. (laughs) But I did actually manage not to get injured in that that first five months of 2009.
0: All right. And were you with a – I mean, did you change, besides being consistent and dialing it back, did you have a coach at that point or were you still just winging it?
2: um, I had – like, I had had a coach um, and he – he'd been really helpful. Like he, he was also like, just stop trying to like, cause I would kind of go off piste with my training and he'd be like, uh, why did you just gone ride for five hours, you know, and then run for two hours off it. Um, and I, I kind of listened to him more. Um, uh, but I also kind of was learning how to be a pro. So I mm-hmm. got much better at, I had this guilt associated with resting when I first resigned, um, from being a lawyer, and <laughs> i'd been so used to like measuring my time in these six minute increments that like if I finished a training ride, i'd think, well, i can 't just you know have a nap, I need to be doing something, right. so then I wasn't recovering, but I was trying to increase my volume, so I just got better at you know all the the things like eating better and going to bed earlier and being okay if I took a nap and they're all like really small things but they kind of added up and um I think that contributed to um just that that just meant I was more consistent in my training and I you know could um could perform on race day and um and then I actually I, I stopped working with my my the first triathlon coach I had um, because it, it it had got like he, he had really opened my eyes because he had sat down with me. And so kind of set this five year plan mm-hmm. as to what my goals in the sport would be. Um, and he'd put like podiuming in Kona and I was like, uh, <laughs> I just I just came last in that race. So. <laughs> um, but I kind of really looked at um what people were doing in Kona to, to perform well. And I decided in my preparation for Kona, I, I got a bike coach rather than a triathlon coach because hmm. I figured if you could bike well in Kona, you'd bike faster and then you'd also run faster afterwards. So right. I pretty I bought a power meter that oh, summer okay. and um, she would just set me these sessions and I would it'd be like, gone ride at 200 watts for 60 minutes. And I'd be like, I can't do it for six minutes. But she said... <laughs>
0: Yeah, I was, like, I was like, I don't them. think that's, yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> you're not a big person. That sounds very hard.
2: <laughs> so she just, uh, but she kind of taught me about like how to use power and mm-hmm. avoid the spikes. And, um, I really, she was like, you're only going to swim three times a week. I only ran three times a week, but I would bike a, a lot. And it, it kind of paid off, um, when it came to, to Kona. Yeah.
0: So does it, it seems like I mean, obviously in your head it seems like you kind of had these like incremental steps the whole way, but I feel like for everybody else watching, it was like Rachel Joyce was an age grouper, then she was last, and then she like was second at Kona five years, four years later, right? It, just, it seems like yes. this crazy thing.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it because it always looked it it's easy when you're looking at someone else's career for it to look really linear and like, Oh, and they just did this. And then this happened. Right. But there, there were, there were a lot of like bumps in the road on the way to, to doing that. Cause even after I had, do- had my first Kona and I came sick and I was like, what the heck? You know, I pretty much didn't sleep for three weeks after that. Cause I couldn't quite believe, you know, because right. person like, who had right. been a lawyer a year ago had, and I was like, it was amongst people I like read magazines about. Like I just felt like a duck out of water, and uh, that imposter syndrome. Like, what am I doing here? <laughs> but and so then, I really wanted to kind of prove to myself, as much as anything, that that hadn't been a fluke. But then in 2010, the first race I did, I sliced through three tendons in my foot, God. and then was in a like, you know, had two surgeries and couldn't do anything until June. So like there was always a lot of like digging out of those kind of setbacks to kind of get back on track. And um, sometimes I think there's, there's an element of stubbornness to not let them kind of get in the way of what I kind of wanted to happen. So um, like when I turned up to Kona that year, it's like, well, I came sixth last year, so I want to come fifth this year. And uh, I kind of managed to ignore the fact that I had had, like, four months of not doing anything. <laughs>
0: like, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the hard thing, obviously, and I've talked to, like, Ben Hoffman and to about this, What you always want to do a little... But then once you're second, you're like, oh, there's only one step left after that. So yes. you always feel, like, a little disappointed then, right? Um,
2: I didn't feel disappointed. The first year I came second, I didn't feel right. disappointed. I kind of was like, it had been... Especially because 2012 had been like a bit of a bust for me in Kona. Um, So coming second felt like a great comeback. Um, 2014 coming third, that felt like a real like, (laughs) because just like I'd had such a good, I felt like that if that was my year to win. Right. And Like, I feel like I didn't have the best day ever. And I had a good, definitely a good day, but you need that magic day. And I didn't have the magic day. And (laughs) so it just was like third, whatever. Fine. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, And then, um, yeah, I mean, I never made the jump up. Uh, Like, it it seems it's just one spot, but it's it's such a big...
0: I was going to say, what's Jump. the difference? Like, what's, like, the really the difference between first and second and third at that level? It's not like you're all fit. You're all, like, ready to go. There's not really, like, it's just the day.
2: Yeah, and I think, I, I mean, I, could, I would be lying if I couldn't, like, look at 2014 and see the things that, like, okay. I, I think I was probably a, a little mentally fatigued because mm. I had been training so hard and I think if I'd held back a little bit it I'd have been readier to go to that dark dark place <laughs> where you really have to push yourself but I I hadn't quite got that mental freshness to do that so it, it's it's like it's not it's about the day but it's also about being mm. smart in the lead up and I think that's where you see like champions that's what they they have amazing days but they're super smart in in the lead up and i think in other years I, I i feel like i had really had a there's not much i would change but 2014 i can really identify <laughs> that i just got greedy in in the lead up and maybe it would have made no difference maybe but... who knows right <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh but just kind of such a brutal race that you just have to be ready to suffer you totally um, mean, yeah
0: you were le I mean, which which was the year that you were leading for? I mean, and then you got to tell us what is it like to be leading Kona for? Do you start planning your podium outfit or you're already like crossing? And then Miranda caught you, right? And there's, yes. and the, you know, you're sworn by video cameras at that point. It's kind of crazy. Yes. No, I never, I was
2: at no point. I think no point when you have really like behind you, are you thinking, oh, I'm going to wear the red number. I think that'll (laughs) look good. (laughs) I'm like literally thinking about the next 500 meters. Like, when do I start drinking Coke? Uh, (laughs) Can I run any faster? Um, I think that was actually what was hard about 2014 because I was coming second to Daniela, but I was actually making up, I could see that I was making up distance on her and that's that so I was thinking of her the whole time and then Rini came past and I was like oh now I'm in third and then but I still was still like, okay, but I can catch Daniela. But Daniela, once she was passed by really, she sped up. And I was like, I'm not even gonna catch Daniela now. You're like, God damn it. <laughs> this has been a rough 10K.
0: <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that's gonna be yeah. funny. And somebody yeah. said that you looked like, you know, you guys looked like you like smiled at each other. And I was like, I don't know, I think they were trying to probably still win. Yes. yes. Yeah,
2: <laughs> absolutely. And I think Um, I I think it probably is different for, like, it would depend who was passing. And I think the relationship you have with that person, like, there's never in doubt that both of you are trying to win. Mm -hmm. Like, I guess if it had been someone else, there might have been less. It would have been like poker face. Poker face. (laughs) Give you nothing. Um, You know, uh, yeah, it's different. I think it would be different had it been... Well, whoever it was passing. Right, um, right. So I do remember like uh, smiling. I was like, don't smile. You've got to get after. <laughs> <laughs> like, what
0: are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so are you guys yeah. all, I mean, you mentioned like, was someone. obviously you and Miranda Carpenter, like know each other pretty well at this point. You live like a mile away from each other. Do you guys, yeah. I mean, are you all friends? Are there, are there some people you're more friends with than others? So it depends. Um,
2: Yeah, I think um, it's like anything, you you know, we're all friends. Uh, I see you kind of just fall into like who you see more than others. But um, I think it's been, there's the, and the people that you like, one of the sad things about retirement is that I just don't see some friends at all because we used to see each other at the races and now we're not racing. Well, so. there are no
0: races now, so you. Well,
2: no, we haven't missed out on anything <laughs> in 2020, but um, uh, yeah. So it's nice that in Boulder there are, are enough people living here that you do get to see them. Um, uh, I think. Um, it's just yeah, the nature of the the sport that right. you 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 just don't like someone like Caroline Steffen who I feel like we kind of came through, we raced very similar. We did quite a few of the similar races and I, you know, I miss seeing her one or once or twice a year just because, um, I haven't raced for the last two or three years. Right.
0: I mean, you are in Boulder and it is literally the most triathletes I've ever seen in a place ever. Yes. Yes. Do you ever feel like, whoa guys, like I'm done with triathlon now. I don't need, it's hard to it's, remove I... yourself.
2: Yes. And, it is part of the, um, I, you know, when I do see friends that I've trained with, and I realize that I, I still think I've got a pretty good idea of what's happening in the triathlon world because it is, um, you know, I like triathlon and, uh, you know, I like to know what's going on and I stayed involved. But then when I talk to people who are like really in it still, and I'm like, okay, you have distance yourself somewhat you know <laughs> yeah.
0: you don't want to hear <laughs> all the boulder gossip Rachel
2: <laughs> or like yeah I like I want to talk about triathlon but then I kind of want to move on to something else um but it's uh, I also understand that mentality because when you're in it you know when I was in it I was probably thinking about it uh I mean, I probably bro- drove Brett mad, you know, if I was like, oh, so if I'm doing this tomorrow or who's on this start list or whatever. Um, but now I realize, you know, I like, I, I really like to see people racing, but I don't need to kind of mm-hmm. analyze the start list. Beforehand. It's probably good. Yeah. At this point. Yeah, it's probably healthy. Yeah.
0: I think. <laughs> <laughs> you and Brett actually met in Kona, right? Like somebody set you up uh, and then he like moved to Boulder, like, weeks uh, later?
2: <laughs> it wasn't quite weeks, but we we did met, meet and Cone. We had a mutual friend, and we were, like, going out. I would always meet this friend, Stephen Lord, to go uh, for a swim, and then we would do a ride. And then uh, Brett was there, and we would always, you know, we, it was a kind of like part of our kind of week routine that we would swim at the pier and go for breakfast. So then I met Brett at, over breakfast, uh, pre-race week, and then – um, I, at that point I was pretty sure I wanted to move to Boulder the following year. So I was like, I don't think this is going to, cause I, he was in London too. And he was like, I'm pretty sure, you know, I don't think this is going to go anywhere. I'm going to move to the States. But, um, he was like, well, let's see. Um, so after spending a total of probably three weeks together at, in broken up between training camps and races, he moved out to Boulder and we were living together.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay. That's kind of crazy.
2: Uh, it it was it it was kind of weird because you know we were like unpacking our very scant uh, uh, furniture and it's like oh well we're living t- we you know we don't really know each other that well but we're living <laughs> together now so we're going to get to know each other it was a very small apartment too and he was working in it so it's like I guess we're going to know each other pretty quickly
0: (laughs) like hope this works out (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) okay when you I mean you moved to Boulder because you were started working with Dave Scott right and you felt like this was the way to up your game is that fair um
2: I didn't start working with Dave until I I was still being coached by Matt Dixon when I moved here um what really part of I I had kind of grown tired of living in London and then London's not a great base. Well, it wasn't a great base for me to be a triathlete. So I was, would go on a lot of camps and I just Mm -hmm. kind of, I was just got tired of like being in a place for a month, living out of a suitcase, then flying back to London and then going on another camp. And I kind of wanted to, I wanted to move somewhere where I could live and, um, a Boulder looked nice, yeah like <laughs> I hear
0: it's nice, yeah, <laughs>
2: so um we like we came out in twenty twelve with a view to see how it would go for that that summer, and it uh went well we we never really left mm,
0: well. <laughs> all right then, and yeah. you um, I mean, obviously you mentioned like you had Archie, you were kind of like the first one of the first like people to have the kid come back in this now it's like a wave thing, it's like everybody, all the women are doing it.
2: Yeah, I know um for me I remember doing do you, can you remember Gina Crawford? Yes, 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 yes. So she was the first like okay. person. I remember seeing her in Roth and she had her little boy with her there and thinking, wow, that is amazing. Um and she did Melbourne that year as well. So I saw her twice racing with a pretty young baby. Um and then there was yeah and that so that was like I had seen it being done um but I think you just never know it's such a big life change um that you don't know how you're going to react afterwards and whether you're going to have the drive to to train that much and it's not so much the time for me it was never about the time to train because it's it's less than a full-time job but uh you're tired (laughs) 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 and and that's mainly what I felt like after I had I raced so much because because of the qualifying system for Kona at the time which you any history you had in the sport is pretty much erased if you have a baby so I despite having come second in Kona before having Benjamin uh, I was starting from scratch in 2017 so it meant I ended up racing four Ironmans in four months and like I kind of just rode that wave and kept going and going but I got after Kona I was like oh I'm really really tar-. that was really tiring <laughs> yeah no I remember that it
0: was like guys we need to fix the system Racial choice <laughs> yes. should not be doing like four Ironmans just to get to Kona that is crazy <laughs> yeah
2: it was in some ways like it was fun because I got to do different races mm-hmm. um the disappointing thing for me was, um, I got to Kona and I knew I was tired. This wasn't for me. Some people are really good at racing fit. Um, but I think if you've had a baby and then you're racing for Ironmans, there's a double tired. Well, some people, maybe if your baby sleeps, it's easier. (laughs) Um, but uh, what a, kind of astonished me was I got to Kona and then I was invited to the press conference and I was like, you actually think I'm going to like, You're like, no, no. Rolled out, like <laughs> I've had no favours getting here and now you want me at the press conference and you're not going to pay me to go to the press conference, but this is just in case of this like out of the blue story, you right. know, like that and I have a stellar race, but um, I- it's kind of like trying to have both sides to me, like...
0: So did you go to the press
2: conference? I did. Uh, Mainly because I thought, well, if I have a terrible race, which I ended up having, at least I've represented my sponsors at the (laughs) press conference. (laughs) Yeah.
0: There you go. All right. And so, I mean, I was after the first kid. Obviously, the second kid was kind of, you just rode that into retirement because you were like, I'm not doing this again. This is...
2: Yeah. I think... I did toy with um, coming and doing 70.3s and like Mm -hmm. having a retirement race. But then I kind of um, figured that I was trying to chase the perfect retirement and I don't think it really exists. You know, I think I had a great year in 2017 and um, it was time to like start thinking about next steps like it almost <laughs> felt like I was doing it because I didn't want to think about what to do next so all right.
0: so you're like yeah. I'll just keep racing so I don't have to think about this
2: yes <laughs> I think that's, that happens in endurance sports sometimes
0: <laughs> all right so well now though obviously you're thinking about it and we kind of said before you're doing a lot of different things you are doing a lot of different things I feel like you yeah. have your Rainus like women's leadership program. You were like doing an endurance TV, Moms in Wine. That's not what it's called, but that's how I thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I feel like you had some other pro like I feel like you're doing all kinds of stuff.
2: Um, well I was a guest on it was uncorked with Meredith. Okay. Um so I was just I was a guest on her first one for that. So that's Meredith's um project. Um but yes, uh meeting Dana and having Rainers, that was that has been like a really great project which like a lot of things has been on hold during Mm -hmm. this year because um for a few reasons like Dana has started a new had started a new job so it wasn't a good time over the summer to really kind of dig into like okay how do we take this online and I was um juggling the two boys, but it's definitely something that we will revisit. We you know, we've got plans for 2021 to uh keep developing that. And um we yeah, so watch, this space watch the space with Rainers. But that that was that for those who don't know about Rainers, it's about um taking kind of mental tools and leadership tools that you kind of don't realize that you're learning on the sports field or whilst you're at work and kind of using them to, to kind of think, help you think about how you can lead in the workplace. Um, and I think we all see that we, a lot of us get into sport because we want to kind of push ourselves to, to do more than we thought is possible. And that is a lesson that we can all take to every aspect. Mm -hmm. Um, well, not every aspect, but other aspects of our life. So, and Dana's just such a wise woman and it's for me it's been a real treat to learn from someone like her because you know she's leading every day in in the role she has um so yeah it selfishly on a very personal point of view I'm learning from her every day um and then uh then I have been involved like this was something I was involved in way before I was retired but it was this idea of organizing professional triathletes right. to have some influence um, in the triathlon arena. So, I have been involved in the formation of the PTO as well.
0: And uh, I mean, back in January, when conferences were still a thing, we were like, How much are you getting paid for this? Why are you volunteering a lot of time, Rachel? <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, it was. a lot of people have volunteered a lot of time (laughs) to that. So, and you know, it's, it's that stubbornness of like, I was really playing a very small Mm -hmm. part in getting people um, trying to, you know, really persuade and uh, this, this generation of professionals that this is something um, that will be good for professionals in the future, even if they might not feel a benefit immediately for themselves. Although, as it happens, the, the benefit has been fairly immediate in quite a lot of the things that the PTO has done. Um, where was I going with that? My brain No, no just... <laughs> the PTO, the
0: PTO is good. Yeah. Here's my question for you with the PTO. Obviously they're putting on the big race in Daytona, we, Daytona, we've talked about that a lot, H- huge money behind it. It's actually, what's crazy th- side point here, you make more for getting like 20th at Daytona than for getting 11th at Kona, side point. Yes. yes. <laughs>
2: But- I, come ele- I have come 11th in Kona.
0: <laughs> but here's my question. So if you guys actually unionize, if this goes like, I know it's not the right word because that's an official term, but if this goes beyond just the offense and you really have like an organization with demands, what are the pros demands going to be? Like what are you going to want to change?
2: Um, I think it's less about changing what other people are doing, but I think it's by having being a stakeholder actually in triathlon. Um, So by virtue of um, receiving, I don't want to kind of get into the structure of the PTO (laughs) so much, but the PTO ultimately Daytona isn't going to be, you know, profit making, but it's going to be really good for professionals to showcase um, the professionals in the sport. And I think this isn't a criticism of anything that's happening in the sport, but no one, it's a mass participation sport in the long Mm -hmm. distance side of things. So there hasn't been, it's not been really in anyone's interest to really take the professionals and really make them into superstars. Uh, And that creates value so that people want to, people outside of triathlon, the niche of triathlon want to watch this sport because they don't know about who these, you know, I think there are a few exceptions. Jan Fredino has kind of transcended triathlon um, in
0: Germany. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But yeah. For, for many, unless you do triathlon or know someone who does triathlon, then you just don't know really about what an right. Ironman is. So if I think a major role of the PTO is to try and widen, you know, increase the audience and kind of really showcase what professionals are doing. And by doing that, you, make it a more valuable sport for sponsors to get involved in. And ultimately the professionals should benefit that, not a third party event organizer.
0: I want you guys to make demands. I want you to like organize, have a list of changes. I think that'd be great.
2: (laughs) Yes, We'll see what we can do. (laughs) Blue M&M's. Yes,
0: exactly. (laughs) All right. What else do you have coming up? Uh, on your schedule, then are you gonna be in Daytona? Are you just like hanging out now what's your What's your plan from here on?
2: Um, I'm just switching um, oh, okay. I think um I don't think I will be in Daytona just because um I think um we have
0: to switch headphones. I, there's, this isn't like uh working from home, having your kids at home. You have lots of things going on. at the scene, so.
2: Sorry. I'm back. <laughs> I, I don't think I'll be in Daytona just because of like the COVID situation. Mm-hmm. I I'm not sure. I think the, the athletes that are, a lot has been done to make sure that governmentally the athletes can get to Daytona from all around the world. Um, I don't know how much I can add to it. It's more about the athletes racing right. than anything I do. Um, but w- what was the second part there, of the well, I was like,
0: what, what else do you have coming up? Like, I'm trying to think, you know, what, oh. what do you have plans? What are your, you know, obviously you did Hawaii from home. Very yes. popular. Yeah. I was wearing my
2: T-shirt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm kind of throwing myself into, I'm doing like 30 runs in 30 days for November. And then okay. I heard about the, what des Linden mm-hmm. did with hers so i'm like oh maybe i'll have a go but not with miles kilometers uh, i'll just like lean on my um european nest for for the k's rather than miles um but i kind of i uh, yeah for, for tw- i'm kind of more looking ahead to 2021 in terms of mm-hmm. plans with uh a, like hopefully a rainers event at some point and then um for for this year I'll continue doing some coaching and then um doing what I can with the, with to contribute to the PTO. Um and then, 2021. And then you're gonna become
0: a teacher apparently. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But <laughs> watch the <this> space. Watch <laughs> then I'll this just I'll, well, don't watch the space. Then I'll probably <laughs> just disappear from the world of of triathlon. <laughs> so I I'll, I'll be a a stalker you know i'll still be watching to see what's happening but more as a fan of the sport all
0: right here's my question uh what grade and subject do you want to teach
2: um i think i'm thinking middle school at the moment but um and because i did law and politics so i'm thinking kind of the social sciences Mm. or english but we'll see um I have till February to finish my application.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Yeah.
2: Well, um, I'm trying to think of a, would.
0: usually we do a would you rather, and I'm trying to think of a would you rather for you, because I just feel like you're just all over the place and I can't figure (laughs) it out. (laughs) Here's my question right now. Would you rather swim, bike, or run?
2: Um... Probably, if I had like four hours, I'd go out on my bike and go and explore. Yeah. Okay. I think
0: like, the other day you were all like, "But I only ride now if it's like fifty and sunny." Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm much more picky than I used to be.
0: <laughs> exactly. And swimming's out now because it's snowing. So oh well.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Although I do, I do quite enjoy swimming in the snow.
0: <laughs> That's weird. You'll
2: kidding. learn to love it, Kelly. <laughs>
0: well thank you so much for talking to us rachel and you know all of the uh the insight
2: yeah well thanks for having me on um yeah i'm not sure what i just talked about but i'm scattered (laughs) like that's fine it's fine okay (laughs) thanks to rachel and vanessa for
0: chatting with us this week thanks to all of you for listening remember to be kind to yourself and to the world keep listening and keep training